grace. That has been a hard concept to grasp, I feel like, because I felt at first, I, I think I was just looked at religion or Christianity as a very legalistic way, like this is what I do and this is what I don't do. So coming in the last few years to understand grace has been like, whoa. So I grew up in the church. Um, it was more my family, my family's religion, I would say, or my family's faith. Um, I didn't necessarily embrace it for myself, especially in high school. I would claim that I was a Christian, but I don't think I had a relationship with Christ. Um, and then I remember my junior year in high school, one of my friends actually went over to, um, to First Baptist Cross Point Church, and she invited me to um, come to youth group. And so I went, and there was a lot of cute guys there. So I kept going um, because I knew in my mind, like, okay, I'm a Christian. I need to be with a Christian. Even though I had no relationship, I was very legalistic. And um, so I kept going. And through that, one of the small group leaders, um, her name was Louise, and she had a daughter in the youth group and um, for some reason she God put it on her heart to um, start a Bible study outside of the service so I she asked me to join I'd only been going like two weeks she asked me if I wanted to come um, I said sure I didn't even read the Bible at the time I don't know why I agreed it was God and so um, I ended up meeting with them for two years every Monday for two years junior and senior year in high school went through a couple different devotional books and Bible studies and through that there was um, a lot of girls in there that already had relationships with Christ and just seeing their faith, um, it really challenged me and, and I wanted what they had. I didn't necessarily know what that was at the time, but I wanted it. And so through that, I began to like read my Bible and talk to my parents, ask them questions. And through that, I really feel like I um, began to love Jesus and, and really actually be a follower of Christ. I, I can't even explain it. It's just, I. I feel so thankful and so grateful. That's the thing I think it's made me, has been so thankful. Before I knew Christ, I wouldn't really tell people I love them, not even my parents, not my family, not my friends. I didn't tell people I love them. I didn't really like show any kind of affection. I, I was kind of really, I don't know, I, I kept everything in. But now with like the love of Christ and experiences grace, I just feel like, I feel like I can love people. I can truly love, I can, I can, and now I say I love you all the time and I really mean it, but before, no way, I would never say that. Um, so just His grace has just made me thankful for the simplest of things and just being thankful that I have the opportunity to live where I live, to have the family that I have. It's just made me thankful, overwhelmingly thankful. Welcome to those of you that are over in the venue. I was over there earlier, man, just great, great worship going on. And welcome to those of you that are listening on live, uh, live on the internet, I mean, and uh, glad you're all with us. That, um, that gal right there is just a beautiful gal on the outside, but more importantly, she's just beautiful on the inside. And if you're visiting with us, uh, we always uh, have a little vignette of somebody's life in here. Someone in our church who's being transformed by the life uh, uh, of, of Christ. If um, you can go onto our website anytime and you can click on the little icon uh, that talks about our testimonies, changed lives, and you can watch all of these. And if you're ever in a bummer, if you're ever in a downer, just go onto the website, click onto that, and watch those testimonies. And I guarantee it'll 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 change your life. I mean, you just can't watch. Someone talk about Jesus Christ and how their life has been changed and not have your life changed. You just can't. Well, uh, before I get into this, let me just uh, talk to the guys for just a moment. Next week, as we continue in our series here through the book of Philippians, the Lord has really laid on me a message just for the guys. And um, so next week, guys, you know, clear your calendars. You need to make sure that you're going to be here, Okay. Maybe you got a friend that you know, you're going to want to be here. Uh, ladies, um, you know, obviously God's word is applicable to all of us, and you ought to come, and I guarantee you, you'll get something out of it, but for whatever reason, the Lord is just leading me down a path where it's a special message, I think, for, for the guys, but you need to be here also, and maybe think about somebody that you might want to, want to bring. Well, here's what happens if you're visiting with us. Uh, each week... I take a, a little portion of scripture, 
And um, I read it, and then I kind of unpack it a little bit. And I try to help us all understand maybe what God's word was, was saying to us. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture, including the two little verses that I'm going to read today, all scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And we all need that. Every one of us needs that. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And if you're visiting with us, this is a, um, a hunk of real estate where everything we do here revolves around the word of God. All the songs that we sing here all are rooted in scripture. Sometimes we actually just sing scripture. Everything that's happening right now with our, our babies and infants and you know two and three-year-olds is all revolving around the word of God. If you were to go to our elementary age classes right now, they're all discussing and looking at the Word of God. Club 56, our fifth and sixth graders are all looking at the Word of God. Uh, Wednesday night, all of our teenagers, high school kids, hundreds of them will look at the Word of God. Everything we do here revolves around the Word of God, including our school. Yes, we teach kids how to read and write and who won the Civil War and all those things. But uh, equally important, if not maybe more important, is we teach our kids about the things of the Lord. And so everything we do here revolves around the scriptures. What I'm going to deal with today is going to be tough, okay? For some of you, it's going to seem impossible. We're going to talk about taming the, the three-ounce beast, okay, better known as the tongue, I weigh about 220 pounds. And I got this three ounce little thing right here. And wow. We're going to talk about how to, how to tame it. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2 of Philippians. The Holy Spirit fills Paul's life. And God has Paul pin these words. So really these are God's words to us. God says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Really? I didn't, I didn't write that. Uh, Paul really didn't write that either. That was the Holy Spirit filling Paul's life. And God says to his people, I want you to do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. One version says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Beloved, this is a command from God. This is God's will for your life. The, the, the number one question that I get as a pastor is this. What's God's will for my life? I just read God's will. God's will is was that you would navigate life, you would go through life, and you would do everything without griping, complaining, whining, arguing, that's God's will for your life, Christian. God says, I want you, those that name my name, those that are my followers, to do everything without grumbling or complaining. As I said just a minute ago, well, that's tough. That's a tough thought, isn't it? I mean, that just, for some of you, you're going, Really? I mean, is it possible? Now, why does complaining or griping or whining or arguing come so easy for us? Because it does. It comes easy for all of us. Why is it so hard for us to control the three-ounce beast? Well, there's lots of reasons, but let me give you the, the big one. The reason why it's so hard to control your tongue is because 
of your sinful nature. Your sinful nature is really good at using your tongue in ugly ways. Your sinful nature is really good at using your tongue in in crummy ways, griping, complaining, arguing type of ways. It's really good for us and easy for us to see the negative in, in people in life, isn't it? I mean, it's easy for us to see the negative in our spouse. It's easy to see the negative things in our kids. It's easy for us to see the the negative things in our parents. It's easy for us to see the negative things in those that we do life with in our small group or with those here at the church. For whatever reason, our our sinful nature, the old man, you know, just, just gravitates towards the negative. Look at our culture. Something bad happens in our world and the cable news networks will run that thing over and over and over again, sometimes for weeks. They're, they're trapped onto this negative thing, and there we all sit. For some reason, our flesh is drawn to the negative. And we spend time seeing the negative in everything, which then leads us to gripe, complain, whatever, whatever those things might might be, but God commands his followers to be different. He says, I want you to do everything without complaining or grumbling or arguing. And why is this so important? It's important because people are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your kids are watching you. Your parents are watching you. The people you work with are watching you. The people who work for you are watching you. The people you hang out with are watching you. And when your tongue is out of control, when you argue and and complain and gripe, it opens you up to criticism. It snuffs out your light. The Bible says that you are an ambassador of Christ. You represent him. And when your tongue is used in a crummy way, It makes him look bad. Now James, our brother, gives us some really great information concerning our tongues, the beast. He says this in chapter three. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals. They can tame all kinds of birds, reptiles, and fish, you know. Been to SeaWorld, they can get killer whales to jump through hoops. They can get penguins to jump through stuff. They can get seals to balance a ball on their nose. We can tame all kinds of birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the beast, the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison, God's word says. Sometimes it praises our Lord and our Father, just like we just did a minute ago, right, with all of our singing. And sometimes it curses those that have been made in the very image of God. And sometimes that happens in the next breath. I love you, Lord. Oh, I hate that guy. Isn't that weird? And so blessings and cursing pour out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is just not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? No. Does a fig tree produce olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Isn't that powerful? Beloved, if you want to know what's happening on the inside of you, just listen to what's coming out of your mouth. James says fresh water has fresh water as its source. Fig trees have, or figs have a fig tree at their source. Olives have an olive tree at its source. Grapevines or grapes have a grapevine at its source. And the same thing is true with the words that come from your mouth. Bitter words come from a bitter heart. Lying words come from a lying heart. Critical words come from a critical heart. Complaining words come from a complaining heart. Beloved, the the words that come out of your mouth simply are a reflection of what's in your heart. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, 
its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Those are powerful words, aren't they? Jesus explained the Freudian slip years before Freud ever existed. Jesus says that what's on the inside of you is what's going to come out of you. Here's the deal. If you've if you got a problem with your tongue, it's way more serious than you think because the problem isn't your tongue. The problem is your heart. That's the problem. So what's the solution? How do you tame the three-ounce beast? How, how do you overcome being a whiner or being a complainer? Now listen, here's the deal. For some of you, this is going to be a great morning. Some of your lives are going to change. For some of you, some of your families are going to change. For some, your businesses will change. Because you're going to embrace what God has to say, and you're going to hear from God this morning. And your life's going to change. And I know that some of you probably are feeling a little bit guilty right now. You're sitting next to your spouse or your children or whatever, and your beast, the three-ounce beast, is out of control in your life. Maybe it's been out of control in your life for weeks or months or years or even decades. And you're there going, oh, man. Embrace that. Because God's word wasn't written just to fill your, your mind with information. All that does is, is puff you up, the Bible says. But like... D.L. Moody said, the Bible was written to change your life. And so, yes, God says, do all things, everything without griping or complaining. But then God comes along and says, let me tell you how you can do that. And that's what we're going to talk about now. We're going to talk about steps that you can take to, to, to maybe put a cage around the beast, that your life might be different, that your marriage might be different, that your parenting might be different, that your home might be different, that your business might be different, that your small group might be different. I'm going to give you four steps that you need to take. And here's the first one. And this is where it all begins. Step one is, is you need a, a new heart to tame the beast. You need a new heart to tame the beast. Ezekiel chapter 18 says, get rid of all the sin you have done and get for yourselves a new heart and a new way of thinking. Beloved, if you want to tame the beast, it begins on the inside of you. It begins with getting a new heart. Painting the outside of the pump doesn't make any difference if there's poison in the well. Yes, you showed up here today and you look good. Combed your hair, got some clothes on, praise the Lord. <laughs> yes, you stood up when you were supposed to. Yes, you sang the songs that you were supposed to. Yes, you put an offering in the offering basket. Yes, it, you, you look good on the outward appearance. You do. But you can do this all day long. Doesn't change a thing. It's like painting the outside of the, 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 the well. It doesn't do anything. You want to tame the beast, it begins by getting a new heart. Because that's the problem we all have. When I was a kid, you know, my mom would probably be thrown into prison now. But um, I didn't always know the Lord. And there were times when crummy stuff would come out of my mouth. And my mom would take me into the bathroom and she'd wash my mouth out with soap. Probably couldn't do that today. She didn't realize the problem wasn't my tongue, the problem was my heart. Now, one of the things that punishment does is it helps suppress bad behavior. 
And so, yes, I may have watched my tongue for a while because, I mean, who wants to have their mouth washed out with soap? But you could wash my mouth out with soap every day of the week and it wouldn't have changed my heart. I had to get a new heart. And how do you do that? How do you get a new heart? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You got a new heart. Beloved, when, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you give your life over to Christ, he wipes out all the crummy things you've ever done. He cleanses you of the sin that separated you from God. When you ask Jesus to come into your life, he did. He came through the power of his Holy Spirit and he now lives inside of you. And he gives you a new heart. David prayed in Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart, Rick Countryman. Oh, I didn't say, he didn't ask me for that. Why? Because I can't give you a new heart. Your therapist can't give you a new heart. Your spouse can't give you a new heart. David knew the place you go to to get a new heart. He says, oh God, give me a new heart. Give me a pure heart. And make my spirit right again. The first step, if you want to control the three-ounce beast, is you got to get a new heart. And you get that through inviting Jesus Christ into your life. Listen to me carefully. Accepting Christ into your life, though it's the first step, doesn't automatically tame the beast. In other words, just because you give your life over to Jesus and get a new heart doesn't mean that you'll never have another problem with your tongue, because you will. I've walked with the Lord for a long time, over 30 years and I still struggle with the three-ounce beast. If any Christian ever tells you they never struggle with the three-ounce beast, they just prove to you that they struggle with it because they just lied. The beast just told a lie. I don't care how long you walk with Christ, you're going to struggle with it at times. But you'll never conquer it without inviting him into your life. You'll never conquer the beast without getting a, a new heart. That's the first step. So the first step is, for some of you, you've never given your life to Christ, never. And you need to do that. Today needs to be the day when you say, God, I need you to come in and make all things new, including my heart, because I got trouble. But the second step is this. The second step is, is you have to admit that you've got a problem with the beast. For those of us that know the Lord, the second step is you, you just got to admit you got a problem. Proverbs 28 says people who conceal their sins, people who conceal the fact that their beast is out of control, they don't prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. One version says a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Now let me be clear. You've got to admit that it's a problem for you. You've got to admit that it's your problem. Not, not it's your spouse's problem. Not that it's your kid's problem. Not that it's your parents' problem. But for you, you see, the most difficult part in learning how to handle your tongue, handle complaining, grumbling, whining, or whatever, is that you have to recognize it's a problem in your own life. And we have a hard time with that. Boy, we can see the three-ounce beast out of control in, in our spouse, can't we? We can see the three-ounce beast out of control in our kids. We can see the three-ounce beast out of control in somebody in our small group, right? But boy, to see it out of control in our own lives is really difficult. And if you want to tame it, you got to get a new heart. And you have to admit the fact that, you know what, i got a problem with it. I have a problem with it. Beloved, this is serious business to God. Grumbling and complaining isn't just a bad habit, it's sin. It's something that God hates. Numbers chapter 11 says this, Soon the people began to complain. They began to gripe. 
They began to grumble. They began to whine about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said, just like he hears everything we say. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them. And he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. One of the reasons why the people of God didn't get into the promised land for 40 years is because they used their tongue in a wrong way. The beast was out of control. They griped and complained. They murmured against God. Beloved, taming the three-ounce beast is, is an important thing. It's something that you have to take personal responsibility for in your own life. Proverbs chapter 19 says this, some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions and then they blame the Lord. It's amazing the excuses that I've heard over the years as to why people have problems in their lives. Well, it's my parents' fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my children's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's the church's fault. The devil made me do it. And then the worst one of all is it's God's fault. And that's been happening since the beginning of time. The very first you know, people ever created by God, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did Adam do? Um, it's the woman. <laughs> and then it gets worse. That you gave me. In other words, God, it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Part of our DNA is just to blame somebody else. Boy, and we see that in our culture, don't we? Blame somebody else for all the stuff that's going on. Listen, you'll never break free from being a complainer. You'll never break free from being somebody that just whines all the time or using your tongue in crummy ways until you accept personal responsibility for what's going on in your life. You got to admit that you got a problem. Lamentations chapter 3 says this. Let us examine our ways and test them. And then the natural conclusion of that is uh, then we need to return to the Lord. Because if you genuinely examine your life you're going to find out that you're off track. <laughs> Those two words, examine and test. God wants you to take personal inventory of your life. God wants you to do an internal audit. He wants you to, to do a frank evaluation of yourself, and rarely, I'll bet, do you do that. Now, You'll, you'll audit someone else's life. I know you know all the stuff about your spouse. I, I know it. I know you know your kids inside and out. I, I, I know that. But God's word says, examine your own life. Test your own life. You need to ask yourself questions like, you know, what are my weaknesses? What are those things in my life that trip me up? How long have I had this addiction in my life? How long have narcotics been eating me alive? How long have I been drinking beer? How long have I been, you know, taking pills? How long have I been abusing prescriptions? How long have I been looking at porn? How long have I been angry? It's a hard thing to do is examine your own life. And yet that's what God calls us to do. And after we examine our own lives, you know, you say, God, I got, I'm coming back to you. Ask yourself, how am I using my tongue? Do I, do I have the three-ounce beast under control? And if you're not sure, man, ask your spouse. Ask your kids. If you're afraid to ask your spouse, if you're afraid to ask your kids, if you're afraid to ask your parents, if you're afraid to ask somebody close, then what that means is you're not willing to admit you got a problem because you're afraid of the answer. Which means this. 
<laughs> You've just opened your life up to criticism. You're snuffing out the light that God wants to have in your life. Yes, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, you're going to be in heaven when you die. But down here on planet Earth, you're basically useless for the kingdom's sake. The first step is you got to get a new heart. You got to invite the Lord into your life. The next step is you got to you got to admit, I got a problem. You got to quit covering up your faults. You, you got to come face to face with your sin. You, you got to admit that the three ounce beast is out of control in your life. Because the fact is, hiding your problem only intensifies them. It only makes them worse. It literally prevents healing. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 32. The great king said, when I kept silent, when I was silent about my, my sin, when I wasn't willing to admit it, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, my life was just miserable. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I'll admit it. I'll be honest about my life. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Look, when you keep whatever the sin might be, and in this case it's our tongue, how we use it, when you keep it in the dark, man, the enemy just eats you alive with it. It just beats you up. But when you bring it to the light and you say, God, I got a problem here. I'm just going to admit it. My, my, my beast is out of control. That little three-ounce thing is killing me. It's killing my family. It's killing my... Wow. Wow. Healing begins. Healing begins so if you want to get a grip on your tongue, the first thing you do is you invite Christ into your life. You get a new heart. And the second thing you got to do is admit that you got a problem. Number three, you need to ask God for his help every day to control the beast. Yes, you need to invite him into your life. Yes, you need to admit it. But, but you need to spend time talking with the Lord, listening to the Lord. This is about prayer. You need to talk with God about the tongue you need to talk with God uh, about your attitude. You need to ask God for his help. The Bible says in Psalm 55, morning, noon, and night, I cried out in my distress. And the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me. Wow. And for some of you, it needs to be morning prayers, afternoon prayers, evening prayers where you go and say, God, my, my beast is out of control. Help me, God. And he'll keep you safe from the battle waged against you. And in this case, it was an actual physical battle with the king. There was an army coming after him. In your case, it's not a physical army. There's a spiritual war going on. And when you cry out to God, often, morning, noon, night, whatever it might be, wow. The Bible says that he'll keep you safe. He'll keep you safe from that battle that wages within you. Now what exactly should you ask God for when you're praying? Let me give you three quick thoughts here. Number one, you ask God to help you control your mouth. Just, God, help me. The beast is out of control in my life. Psalms 141, David said, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let me tell you something. As I've studied this, I think David had a problem with the three-ounce beast. I think he had a problem with it. And what an incredible thing to... To, to pray for God, set a, a guard over my mouth. This would be a great verse to memorize, wouldn't it? Some of you need to take a three by five card and just write it out and then stick it on the mirror. And guys, as you're shaving in the morning, just look at it. Ladies, as you're putting on your makeup in the morning, you ought to look at it. 
You got to take a three by five card and maybe put it on your dash so as you're driving you can look at it. When you're coming home, about ready to walk into the house and there's going to be your family and your kids, you got to look at that and say, oh God, help me. Put a guard over my mouth, God. I need your help, God. And the reason why you need to ask God for his help is because you can't pull it off by yourself. You can't do it on your own. You need his help. You need God's help. Psalm 39 says this, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. Proverbs 13 says, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 21 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Some of you have experienced ruin and calamity in your home because of your tongue. Your kids don't want to talk to you anymore. Your spouse left you. Calamity came. Ruin came because of a three-ounce piece of flesh you couldn't control. And when you read these words in the Word of God, let me tell you something, they're powerful. Anybody who tells you, oh, it's an old book, you know, it's not relevant for today. They've never read it. They just showed their ignorance. Because let me tell you that this book is filled with incredible information from God. The great theologian Sidlow Baxter said this, the proof that God's spirit is in your life isn't that you speak in some unknown tongue, but that you control the tongue you do know. Let that settle in. Number two, you need to ask God uh, to help you uh, develop a, a heart of gratitude. These are things you're asking God for. You say, God, put a guard over my mouth. I need your help. And then you say, God, help me to develop a, a heart of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, always be joyful. Always. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Once again, you want to know what God's will is? God says, here's my will. I want you to always be joyful. I want you to always pray. I want you to be thankful in all circumstances. And you ought to circle those two words, in all. In all circumstances. God says, I want you to be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't say, be thankful for all circumstances. It says, in all circumstances. And those are two different things. Beloved, you can't always be thankful for the circumstances that you're in, but you can be thankful in them. How? Because you know that God's purpose for your life is greater than whatever the problems are in your life. You're not thankful for the bummers, the crummy things that go on. You're not thankful for those. But you can be thankful in them, knowing that God is working through them in your life. Beloved, this is a, a tremendous antidote for complaining. When you develop a, a heart of gratitude, it will change what comes out of your mouth. I guarantee it. Listen, we all have things we could complain about, legitimate things. We all have things in our lives that we're not satisfied with. There are some things in your marriage that you don't like. I know it. There has to be. There are some things in your spouse that, 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 that you don't like. There has to be. The Bible says that we're all sinful. Your spouse is sinful. So are you. And you came together and made vows with one another, two sinful people, which means you now have a family full of sinful people. I guarantee you, you can find crummy things in your kids, in your parents, in your spouse. You can find crummy things, you know, with things at work, here at the church, in your small group. But I also know that there are some things in those situations or those people that you could learn to be thankful for 
or that you could be grateful for. And you need to ask God for his help to have a thankful heart, to see those things that you could be grateful for. You need to ask God's help to see those things in your spouse's life, those things in your kids' life, those things, you know, in your, in your parents' life. As I said, we're just naturally, we gravitate towards crummy things. We just naturally go there. And so you, you have to ask for God's help. God, help, help me, help me. There, that, that, that my spouse is actually made in the very image of God. So help me see something in it, God. Help me. The third thing is you need to ask God to help you develop a, a tongue that speaks blessings. Ephesians chapter 4 says, don't use foul and abusive language. Remember, this is God's word. It tells us what's wrong in our life. It teaches us what is right, right? God says, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't do it. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. And you need to get before God and say, God, put a guard over my mouth. God, help me to see the, the, the things that I could be thankful for in people's lives. And then, God, would you help me use my tongue in a way where I could speak blessing? You want to talk about shining brightly for God. Proverbs chapter 27 says, a nagging wife is like water going drip, 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 drip on a rainy day. How can you keep her quiet? And by the way, guys, that's a principle that applies to you, too. A nagging husband. Yeah. If you're over in the venue, yeah, I'm sure it happened there, too. Um, we can look at that and say, yeah, I get it, you know. That's just a principle. Proverbs 21 says, better to live out in the desert than with a nagging, complaining wife or a nagging, complaining husband. It's just better to live alone. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 says this, fathers, and it applies to mothers, don't nag your children. You see, dads, we can nag too. If you're too hard to please, they, they may stop wanting to try. And that's what happens when you live in a house where the three-ounce beast is just going like this all the time, whether it's to your spouse or to your kids or whatever. You just finally say, I'm done trying. I'm done hanging it up. Putting away the cleats, man, I'm done. Game's over. You win. Proverbs chapter 10 says, the words of the godly encourage many. Boy, it doesn't have a different feel. Proverbs chapter 13 says, the instructions of the wise are like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept them avoid the snares of death. I love Proverbs 25, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. Isn't that great? Haven't we all had that moment when, I don't know, maybe life had beaten us up, things were going crummy, you know, we don't feel good about ourselves or whatever, and you meet up with somebody, your spouse, could be your kids, and they just have the right word. They use the three-ounce beast in the way that God wants it to be used. And it's like, whoa, whoa. The power of the beast Got to get a new heart. That's step one. You got to invite Christ into your life. Step two, you, you got to admit you got a problem with it. Step three is, is you got to spend time with the Lord, listening to him, talking to him. Now we come to step four, and this is the tough one. Step four is, is you need to be accountable and in community to subdue the beast. Listen to what Solomon said. Solomon said two people are better off than one. For one can help, one, for they can help each other succeed. 
One person fails, the other person can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Boy, this is great wisdom for us. Yes, you need to know the Lord. Yes, you need to admit that you have a problem. Yes, you need to talk with the Lord, pray. But let me tell you something. You also need to be in a group of people that can hold you accountable. You need to be in community with each other. Listen to what our brother James says in chapter 5. He says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. So obviously God, who had James pen this, is saying, yes, talk to me about your sin. Confess your sin to me, but it doesn't stop there. Because somehow when we talk to others, when we tell others about the things that we're wrestling with, and we pray for each other, that's when healing takes place. Good thing to invite Christ into your life. Good thing to admit you got a problem. Good thing to tell God about the problem. But let me tell you something, it doesn't stop there. You need to get in a group of guys if you're a guy or a group of gals if you're a gal where you can you know, be, be held accountable and you can hold others accountable. Where you can talk about the things that you're wrestling with, in this case, the three-ounce beast. Where people can pray for you and you can pray for them. Because two are better than one. We need to be praying for each other, confessing our sins to one another. Let me give you a couple thoughts here. A couple ways that you can get into an accountability group or community. One of them is our men's ministry. Some of you have never been to our men's ministry, and I'll tell you, what a great place to come and, and hang out with some guys and fellowship together. And, 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 and those of you that are in our men's groups and you're sitting around those tables, for some of you, you need to take it to the next level now. You need to look at one of the guys or whatever and say, listen, um, can we go out and have some coffee? Because I need to take this, this relationship to another level. And I need to tell you, man, my, my, my three albums, Beast, is out of control. I'm beating up my wife all the time with it. I'm beating up my kids. I'm beating up my employees. It's killing me. I'm not shining as brightly as I could. I've opened myself up to criticism. Would you pray for me? That'd be kind of scary, Pastor Rick. Yeah, yeah. And the enemy wants you to just kind of keep it in here. If you're a gal, you know what? We have an incredible women's ministries where you come and you learn about the Word of God, you get around tables and you begin to develop friendships with other gals. But some of you, you know, those of you whose beast is out of control, you need to maybe meet with a couple of gals and say, listen, I, I, need, to, I need to go someplace different. This study on Beth Moore, this study on this is all good and well and praise the Lord for that, but, but I got a problem with the beast. And would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would you, would you hold me accountable? We have our small group ministries. Hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people in, in our small groups. And for some of you, as good as it is, you're coming, you're looking at the Philip Yancey stuff, and you're developing relationships. Praise the Lord for that. It's time for some of you to take that to another level. Maybe you need to talk to your leader or say, hey, listen, this is all good and well, but I was wondering, next week, can I come over a little bit early? Because I need to talk with you. And just say, hey, I'm struggling with the beast. I heard from the Lord this past weekend, and I, I need some help. But let me give you the one ministry that will hold you accountable and put you in community that's just on steroids. And, that, and, that, and that's Celebrate Recovery. Woo! Celebrate Recovery is an incredible ministry. 
We're on Tuesday nights, I don't know, 500 people all gather down here and they're all out there eating burgers and hot dogs and they come in here and they're all singing praises to the Lord and then there comes a moment when the guys go off with guys and the gals go off with gals, which by the way, let me say this, ladies, you don't talk with some other guy about whatever the troubles are you're dealing with. And guys, you don't, you know, talk with some gal at work who's a Christian, you know, and say, man, I'm really struggling with, you know, my, my, my tongue and how I treat my, you, know, you don't talk with somebody of the opposite sex unless they're a, a, a professional counselor or a pastor or someone like that. And our Celebrate Recovery is all about getting guys in groups and gals in groups and they love each other, they pray for each other, they care about each other, they point each other to Christ. And in that ministry, we see just people being freed from the bondage of all kinds of things. In this case, it could be your tongue. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking to yourself, oh, man, if I come walking in here on Tuesday, everyone's going to turn around and look at me and go, man, there's a guy with trouble. <laughs> let, let, let me just put everybody's heart at ease. Just look at the person next to you. Just everybody look around. Just look, look. That person has trouble. That person's screwed up. That person is so, listen to me, that person is so screwed up, the second person of the Holy Trinity had to come to planet Earth and die on a cross. That's how messed up everybody is. And so don't let the devil somehow, oh, you know, people are going to think I'm messed up. That's the message of the book. And unfortunately, the church has just... We've just given people the impression that if you're a part of the family, wow, you got it all together and you, you got it. No, we're all messed up. And so when you walk into the room, no one's gonna look back there and go, boy, there's a screwed up guy because they've recognized the fact that they're screwed up. They've done step two. That's why they're here. They've admitted they got a problem with porn or alcohol or narcotics or, or anger or whatever it is, and they're here to say, God, I want my life to shine brighter for you. I want my life to look more like you. And I've accepted you into my life, and I've gotten a new heart, and I've admitted it, and I'm talking to you, but you know what? I'm here because I know there's another step. I'm to confess my sins to one another. And I'm to pray with one another. I gotta be in accountability. I gotta be in community with others. And so no one's gonna, you know, make you feel crummy or make you feel bad if you walk in here on Tuesday night. Look, I say this often. If I knew all the stuff there was to know about all of you, all the crummy stuff, I wouldn't wanna preach to you. And if you knew all the crummy stuff about me, you wouldn't want to listen to me preach. You see, the Bible says we've all sinned. All of us. We're all broken. We're broken to the point to where our DNA has actually been nicked to the core of who we are. We're broken. Enter. God, who loves us. Who says, I know you're broken. I know. And you can't fix yourself. Invite me into your life. And I'll begin to work. Don't hide your sin. Just admit it. Talk to me. And the reason why I put my church together, and this is where the devil has really gotten the church over the years, but God said, I brought this church group together so that you could be with one another and talk about and deal with the struggles of your life. And this is a church that says, come. So what happens when you control the three-ounce beast? You shine like a bright light. Fill in the last blog. That's what happens. You do. But when this thing is out of control, man, it just opens your life up to criticism. It, it, it literally snuffs out the, the light. Uh, let me tell you this. I often pray that when people hear about Big Valley Grace and, and, and you tell somebody, hey, I go to Big Valley Grace. And you're at work, hey, I go to Big Valley Grace. 
Or you invite someone to church, hey, I go to Big Valley Grace, and there's thousands of people who go here, so I know that, you know, probably thousands and thousands and thousands of times throughout the week people hear Big Valley Grace. I want people to go, you know what? I don't go there, but I hear that that's a place where just people are really positive. They don't gripe and complain. There's no grumbling and moaning. They're a group of positive people. They, they really love each other down there. They have great unity down there. I, I'm not kidding. I pray for that. Because according to God's word, when we do argue and complain, when we do gripe and murmur and all that stuff, it brings criticism. What would happen in your business if all of a sudden all the complaining stopped amongst your employees? Wow. Imagine what, what might happen in your home if your family made a pact that they wouldn't complain or be critical or tear each other down anymore. Imagine what might happen, uh, students, if all of a sudden you stopped griping and complaining about the rules of your home, you know, whatever the curfew was or where you could go and all that kind of stuff. You think your business would be different? You think your home would be different? You think your life would be different? Are you kidding me? Proverbs 27 says this, never boast about tomorrow. You don't know what will happen between now and then. And let me apply that this way. I know some of you have heard from God. I know it. I know it. And you, you can do this. You can, you can say to yourself, well, you know what? I'll, I'll do something about it tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade. Don't do that. You don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. You've heard from the Lord today. Don't, don't wait till tomorrow. For some of you, in just a moment, you need to go into the altar room and over in the uh, uh, venue, we have an altar room there, and just walk in and just say, hey, I want you to know, man, I heard from God. I, I got a problem with the beast. Will you help me? And every guy that's in there, every pastor and every elder, we get it. There are times in my life, though I've walked with Jesus for over 30 years and been a pastor at this church for over 25, there are times when this three-ounce piece of, you know, meat takes control of 220 pounds. Happens to me even now. Everybody in there gets it. You're not going to walk in and the elders and the pastors are going to go, oh, here's a guy who doesn't have control of his tongue. No, we get it. <laughs> Trust me. But we've walked with God long enough to where we understand these steps. We've invited Christ into our lives. We're willing to admit that we've got trouble at times. We talk with God often about the stuff in our lives. And we get ourselves into accountability groups, which is why we control it better than most, probably. But we understand. We get it. You're going to find people in their loving and care about you. We'd love to pray with you. For some of you, maybe you leave here, and because every one of you probably has a smartphone, right? You could leave here and you could call the church, 577-1604, And you call the church, maybe before you even get to the car, and say, hey, listen, I need to leave a message for Pastor Scott Miller, Pastor Scott uh, Stubbert. Maybe you feel more comfortable talking to Susan Leonard, a gal, and say, hey, listen, I was in church uh, just 10 minutes ago, and I heard from the Lord. I, I, I need to know about your celebrate recovery. I need to talk with somebody. My, 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 the beast is out of control in my life. Maybe you, you look at your spouse because it's not a news flash to your spouse or your kids that you got a problem. They know. And say, you know what? I heard from the Lord and I'm making a commitment. Tuesday night, I'm changing my schedule and I'm going to be down here. Don't wait till tomorrow. Make a commitment today. Do something today. Because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Now, some of you are going to take advantage of that. And it's going to be a great day in your life. It'll be a great day in your family. Some of you will leave, and all you got was a bunch of knowledge. And it's just going to puff you up more and more. Humble yourself. Take a step that your life would be different, that your family would be different, that your future family might be different.
for those of you that might be single. Do it today. Why don't you stand up and just close your eyes for a moment. Pastor Scott's going to pray and look, you need to head out and, 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 and get your, your, your single life ticket or your married life ticket. Let me tell you, that's going to be a great event. We believe that God put it on our heart to put that event on. We believe it's going to be a good thing for your life. Be a good thing for your marriage. Take advantage of it. Pastor Scott, would you, would you pray? Close your time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for hearing from your word today. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to look to you, to surrender to you, especially in this area of our tongue. Father, I just pray that um, we would look to you. Father, keep us accountable. Help us to find those places, those those spaces where you want us to, to share with others so that we can uh, grow and stay on the right path with you. Thank you for this time this morning. We love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.